The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Tonight, we're doing something a little bit different as we come into uh, reflecting on the word. There's going to be a golden rod flyer, a uh, little half page that will have uh, some, uh, that'll have our scripture on it. Janie's bringing some of those around now. Uh, some pens will be coming around. Towards the end of what I want to share this evening, things are going to move pretty fast. And I felt like this might be a good way to, to help us hold it together if uh, do it, so feel free to grab one of these goldenrod forms as they come around. We'll work with them a little bit later in the talk. Okay. Did any, I, I mean, lie to me if you have to, but did anybody see me on the Husky Tron this, this last Saturday? Okay. As, as we scored that third touchdown, I was just deadpan, right? I was, I, I had gone trick-or-treating with my kids and they were football players. So I was, of course, the referee. And honestly, it was so successful that I've, I've actually considered you incorporating a whistle into my parenting style permanently. <laughs> but I just went straight to the game. The kids had to go to bed because the game started a little bit late. And when the dog scored that third touchdown, I just looked straight into the camera, dead panda. Harry the Huskies right next to me going nuts. People around me, yeah, throwing their dubs up. And I'm just deadpan. Right in, right in there. I think it confused some people. I think people did a de- double take. Hey, hey, was that was that church? Was that my pastor up there? What's going on? Yes, I was there. I was fired up. I usually only get on the screen when my cute kids are with me. This time they threw the R up there without the kids, which is which is nice. Uh, made me feel like a college student because I was a college student once, and like many of you. Uh, my, my folks are, uh, my family wasn't in uh, Seattle, King County really wasn't in the region when I was a student. And so when they would come to town, it was always, it was always a, a bit of a treat. And inevitably it meant, you know, I got maybe taken out to dinner or, you know, got to, to hang out. And, and one time I remember as my dad was, was uh, dropping me off as he was getting ready to head back to Minneapolis, uh, we get to the door, and, and sure enough, you know, he goes for his back pocket, pulls out his wallet. Internally, I'm doing a little bit of a happy dance going, yes, I need this. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking my dad's going to give me, you know, this $20 bill and tell me how proud he is of me and, and all this stuff. And, you know, maybe he's going to, you know, tell me to bring it in or whatever. And as he gives me the $20 bill, he just looks at me and he goes, Ryan, no CDs. Okay, CDs are these, these little discs that would spin around on a frickin' laser. Okay, I don't know. You guys know them as downloads. We knew them as CDs. Okay, you know, but I wanted CDs, right? This was Seattle. This was the 90s. We're talking Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, all sorts of sweet indie rock. Okay, I did want to get CDs. My dad made it clear. I'm not here to necessarily give you a bunch of cash to get what you want. This is for what you need. Now, that is an idea that I want to riff on a little bit more as we continue and, in fact, conclude a series that we've been doing where we've been stalking Jesus a bit, looking at his first year of ministry, going a bit on on a road trip 
with him. And we've seen Jesus do some, some things that are intended to really describe to us what God is like. They're intended to show us who God is. A, a bit of a, of a review. Perhaps you were here for every week. Perhaps you weren't. Uh, that we, we first saw Jesus start in Cana where he turned water in, in, into wine and in so doing graciously saves a young couple from what otherwise would have been some deep shame. God's heart is to rescue us from shame. We then saw Jesus move into the temple and go all Indiana Jones, crack the whip, and essentially say, I don't want anything, especially religion, to interfere with our relationship. He then has a conversation in the middle of the night with a man named Nicodemus where Jesus explains to him that this whole idea of heaven, of, of eternal life, is something that matters not only for when you die, but it matters for right now. We're talking about heaven on earth right now. And then, of course, last week we got to, to see Jesus show up and, and meet a woman where nobody else would and, and communicate to this woman, yes, I know why you're here at this time of day. And in fact, I know you. I know everything about you and my offer for you, my love for you stands and it stands firm. Well, tonight we fit in, in, in Jesus' time, this whole road trip would have taken about a year. We've done it in about six weeks. Good for us, right? Well, tonight we're going to experience Jesus one more time as he returns back to Galilee. And this time demonstrating that he is one who is able and willing to meet our needs, although that often looks and sounds, perhaps feels, a whole different, a whole bunch different than we might expect. Now, last week we got started with John 4 and we covered 42 verses. Tonight we continue in John 4 beginning at verse 43 and we only have to cover 11. Phew, right? It's the middle of the quarter. We don't need, we don't need more than 11 verses. Uh, all right, so let's listen to this story. And as we do, I want to invite you to simply ask, what are the questions that you ask of this story. And then I want to reflect on a few of the questions that I have uh, as we come out of that. Here we go. This is John 4, beginning at verse 43. It says this. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Remember, he stayed in Samaria after this encounter with the woman at the well. And now uh, the nice thing is from Samaria to Galilee, it's not that far. A couple of days walk. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Well, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. While this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went up to him, to Jesus, and begged Jesus to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official nonetheless said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. 
When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Okay. I want to reflect on this text by asking it three questions. No doubt you had other questions, and they're probably really good ones. Uh, But for the sake of time, I just want to unpack three uh, tonight. The first is this. Why was the royal official initially rebuked by Jesus? Remember that? There, there was that, that uh, kind of abrasive response from Jesus when, a, when the guy's saying, hey, can you heal my son? Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Why this response? Because it seems that Jesus is pretty unimpressed with a faith that is dependent on the spectacular, that's dependent on signs and wonders. It's saying, you are not interested in me, but you're interested in what I can do. Okay, are you, are you connecting with this? Our culture sings, literally sings about this in a lot of different ways. It, honestly, go with me here. This might be a bit of a stretch, but it, I can almost hear this is a bit of a response of Jesus kind of looking over going, say, saying, you know, I ain't, I ain't saying you're a gold digger, but, okay. <laughs> There's an anxiety there when we hear those lyrics, right? Are you about me or are you about something else? I guess the change in my pocket wasn't enough, okay? It's an anxiety that we have, right? Where there's more of an interest in, in that something than the person. A, a more in, uh, of an interest in what this person does than who this person is. That's the problem, Jesus says, with signs and wonders and having a faith built built on that. Because we get this, right? That if some if if a relationship is built on what you can do for me, on on the on a sense of, hey, I'm in it with you as long as you've got money. I'm in it with you as long as you are spectacular. That's gonna result in only a sunny day faith. Let me tell you that one of the, the parts of the UMID mission statement is that we want to help you establish a faith today that stands firm tomorrow. And if that's going to happen, we need to have a faith that can endure moments where the circumstances simply aren't favorable. They're not necessarily what we would desire. And in fact, they can kind of stink because there isn't any money left. Because you get rejected by people. Or because people you love and care about die. Remember, when Jesus does perform signs and wonders, when he does the spectacular, they're to point to a bigger reality around God's character. And they are intended to draw us more towards God, more towards Jesus and into closer relationship, not with the sign, but with the person. Now, let's go back to what we just saw right here. Not only does the royal official have trying circumstances, right? His child is ill and on his deathbed. But then he gets rebuked by Jesus, right? Ouch. 
You people need signs and wonders in order to believe. Wouldn't you be thinking, I know I would be, as I put myself into this text, really? You're going to rebuke me right now? You've got to be kidding me. I'm just, a- I'm just asking for a favor. But here's what's interesting to me, and this is the second question. What is faith? What's faith? Faith here is seen in that even in this apparent rebuke, this royal official asks anyway. Now, we probably can't move on too quickly from this without recognizing that this royal official, despite whatever privilege his royalty, his, his official standing may have entitled him to, was well aware that, that his privilege was not going to solve the issue of his son dying. His son was going to die, and P.S., This is the first time in Jesus' ministry where Jesus very directly engages the reality and if not the problem of death. So this man is confronted with a reality that his status and who he is simply cannot solve. One wonders when was the last time that this this official would have experienced something like this. But nonetheless, even after rebuke, this guy demonstrates a degree of faith by simply asking, sir, come down here before my child dies. Even after a rebuke, he doesn't turn away. He actually draws closer. Please come down because I'm desperate. Somebody needs to do something to help me out. Now, is there a difference in your mind between desperation and faith? Well, uh, here's what, uh, where my mind goes. Instead of seeing this guy just sink further into this desperation, which we might call despair, there's this hopeful response, even if it's just a little bit of hope. even though there's, there's nothing that he can see in the moment, even as Jesus then says, your son will live, he can't see anything has changed. I'm not even sure I can nail down exactly what his expectations are. But his faith is that even in rebuke, even in the, the chaos and the pain of the situation is, he still asks. He still draws close. I, would, I want to suggest that that's a great, wonderful picture of faith. Which leads us to our last question. What does Jesus mean when he says that line, your son will live? Well, certainly on the surface, we know what it means. It means that your child is not dead. Now, I want to point out a nuance that is, that is hard to catch in our English translations. You see, the official is, what the official is asking for right here is for his son to be kept from death. He's asking for his son to be given life. Now, there's two words in Greek for life. You guys are really familiar with one because you study it. One of those words is bios, right? And when we're talking about bios, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about the fact that we can breathe, the fact that we eat. We're talking about our, our physiological functioning. Well, what Jesus says is, your son will live. And he uses another word. He doesn't use bios. He uses a word, zoe. 
Okay, some, there might even be people in this room named Zoe, which means life. But this life is not merely a physiological life. This is a life that is full, that, that is full of meaning. You see, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus, John tells us that this person, Jesus, is the life that gives light to the world, Zoe. That's who Jesus is. Uh, later on in John 10.10, 10, we hear about this good shepherd that has come to rescue his sheep and give them life, Zoe, and life, Zoe, to the full. Life and life abundant. So when Jesus is saying, your son will live, he's actually giving a word that says, I'm going to give you more than you even asked for. This is good news, right? Because this is what I believe we learn, we learn, we yearn for. We long for, for our lives to be more than just about functioning, about eating and breathing and sleeping, right? We want there to be meaning. We want to somehow know that there is more to life than just existing, and to boot, when I think about the culture that, that many of you are living in, a, a competitive student culture, you want life to be more than about the few labels that you have on you, your major, perhaps the house that you live in, or, or your grades. And that's what Jesus is saying here when he uses the word Zoe. There is so much more to life than merely existing. And I want to give you that life. In saying your son lives, he's not only saying the blood is still pumping, he's saying his soul is alive and well. So what I think this story does is inform us on how to go via this royal official to the Lord of life that is life and light, life to the full, to go to that one with our needs. So this is where I want you to pull out your little goldenrod form here. Form, flyer, whatever it is. Because I'm going to break some rules. Okay, if you, did, if you tried to pull this off in your speech communication class, you're going to get a really bad grade. So don't try and do this. I want to answer this question about what does this story of this royal official interacting with Jesus tell us about how God wants to meet our needs in Jesus? And there's seven things, and we're going to move through this pretty quick, which is why I gave you this flyer, to, to, to somehow try and hold this together a little bit. Are you ready? You guys fired up? Here we go. First, run to Jesus. When the official has a problem, he went to the one, the only one who might be able to help. You see, when we have seen Jesus move us past shame and move us into relationship and tell us that eternity is not only something that matters for you die, but matters now, he is essentially saying that heaven is a reality for right now and you can taste a little bit of it. What Jesus has done, and, and Denise actually prayed this at the beginning of the talk, is given us access to God by coming down, all the way down, living on earth, as, as John 1 says, making his dwelling among us, moving into the neighborhood. Now, it's important that Jesus shows us, that in Jesus shows us what? That God has first 
run to us. And so when I'm saying run to Jesus, because Jesus has already run to us, usually what our running looks like is simply taking one step around, maybe one step further and seeing that the Lord of life is right there and rooting for you with whatever your need may be. Have you tried this? Try it once. When you have a need, as you identify that need, run to Jesus. Second, ask boldly. It says first that the official begged him and requested Jesus uh, to come for a visit. And then even after he's rebuked, he still asks, right? If we have access to God, then why shouldn't we ask? The psalmist notes, Psalm 116, that because God has turned an ear, we call on God as long as we live. Now, I know that there are more times than I would stand in front of you and care to admit where I have not asked because I'm scared that maybe the ask is a little too big, a little too bold. And if God doesn't deliver on it in the way that I want God to, will that shake my faith? Will, will that show that, that God doesn't exist? Well, that probably has a lot more to do about me than it has to do with God. What I want to invite you to do tonight is to ask boldly when you identify that need. Have you tried it before? Just try it. Ask boldly like the royal official did. Third is that you would have open expectations. My guess is that Jesus didn't exactly uh, do what this guy was hoping that he would do. He didn't immediately go down and lay a hand on his son. He didn't use any hocus pocus or magic words, right? He just sent out his word. Your son will live. The prophet Isaiah notes that God's thoughts and ways are different than our thoughts and ways. Thus, it makes sense for us to remember and to know that God is going to do things, go about his business a little bit different than we might want him to. Our thoughts and God's thoughts are a little bit different, and that's good news. I'm well aware of this, uh, of how this works on the week after Halloween, right? If left to their own devices, I bet you my, my two older kids, Carson and Colin, a seven and a four-year-old, would sit down and motor through some of that candy as quickly as they could. And instead, it means at some point I need to intercede, and they get really disappointed. Wait, wait a minute. Isn't the whole point of going trick-or-treating that we get lots of candy that we then, like, bludgeon ourselves with? Okay, I go and protect them from themselves by saying, you know what, let's pace ourselves a little bit. You know, do something to hide the candy. Uh, last year, I, I did, like, a, a Jimmy Kimmel video where <laughs> I, I, I said, hey, hey Colin. Hey, Colin was three at the time. And I'm like, hey, uh, Colin, last night uh, when you went to sleep, I ate all your candy. And at first, Colin was just deadpan. And then, and Colin's a pretty tough kid. And then, and then he just, he just, he bull rushed me. He goes, why'd you do that? Okay. <laughs> what, what am I getting at? It actually gives me great joy to break from what their expectations are. Because then, it, I love it when I can make their lunch the next day as they get ready to go off to, to 
first grade into preschool. And then I get to put some of their Halloween candy in there, but I don't tell them. And I just love the, the thinking about the joy and the pleasure that they get when it shows up anyway. You see, their expectations are a little bit different. My kids' ways and my ways are not exactly the same. And so as it goes with God. Let's be open to how God might meet our needs in ways that might be a little bit different than we might even prefer for ourselves. Fourth, listen to what God says. Now again, it might not be exactly what you want to hear, but you should start by listening to what Jesus has to say. Now, my guess is that a lot of you are, might be challenging that in your head going, Ryan, I'd love to do that, but I don't hear Jesus. So what does it mean to hear Jesus, to hear the word of God? Now, while, while I believe that God speaks to us in a lot of different ways and that God is speaking, uh, constantly speaking to us, even now, I can't promise you that you will get an audible voice that you'll get is some booming voice in the clouds or a burning bush. But one thing I know we do have is the Bible. Listen to what it says in exactly the same way that we've been doing here this quarter. Listen to what it says about who God is. Listen to what it says about how God loves you and about how God loves those around you, and about how God wants to rescue you and rescue us from sin. Listen to what it says about how we might live a little bit differently. That's one place where I'm convinced we can all hear and listen to uh, the word of God. Fifth, trust his word. Now, there are other healing accounts where people do things such as uh, touch Jesus' robe or where Jesus might lay a hand on them. In this case, Jesus just says the word, right? Your son lives. This is trusting. This means for us trusting that God is active and, again, that God is for us and desires to be with us. Now, with this question, I simply want you to reflect on it. Do you trust Jesus? Has Jesus won your respect? Why? Why not? It seems to me that if you're going to trust Jesus' word, the first task is to learn to trust Jesus. I invite you to reflect once again, uh, perhaps in the coming week, on why can Jesus be trusted? What first led you to that? What reminds you that it's true even now? I believe that Jesus' word can be trusted. I invite you to reflect on that in the coming week. Sixth, do what Jesus says. Okay, if he does speak and we hear it, then we can do it. Be it a command like go and check on your son because he lives. Or be it the teaching, sometimes difficult, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, let your light shine. If you are angry with a brother or sister, go and be reconciled to them. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What does it look like for us to do these things that we hear Jesus say? You see, doing is an expression of our being, of being beloved, of knowing that we're cared for, of knowing that there is a God 
that seeks to meet our needs and the needs of the world, honestly, is why we have all these tables right over here at the side of the inn. It's an opportunity for us to go and do something. Doing what Jesus says, says means acting based on what we truly believe. Let's do what Jesus says. Finally, leave to Jesus the right to do what Jesus will do with your needs. Why? Because Jesus is better at meeting your needs than you are. Open your heart and your mind to receive whatever it is, however it is that God in Jesus Christ wants to meet you in your needs. He's eager to do so. But I understand that this can be confusing when our wants and our needs are two totally different things. If we are going to allow Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, let's remember that he is a Lord that wants to give us life that wants to give us Zoe life, a life that goes beyond merely mere biology. And he does this in, 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 at the cross. It's at the cross where he shows us that he is willing to meet our needs. And it is in his glorious resurrection, in Jesus' glorious resurrection, that he demonstrates that he is able to meet those needs in conquering death forever. Friends, this is good news. So tonight, as you sit here, perhaps feeling anxious about whatever it may be, midterms, initiation, as you feel empty and confused, as you feel lonely and afraid, for whatever reason it may be, that you might even be tempted to beat yourself up for all the more. Why am I feeling this way? Friends, with whatever the need is, run to Jesus. Trust him. Listen to him. Allow him to meet you in your place of need. It's the place that he wants to meet you, in that place of need and desperation. Turn and hear him say, you are my beloved and you are are alive. Let's pray. God, thank you that you promise to be with us always, that you are able to meet our needs, that you desire to meet our needs. Help us to grow in the way that we trust you to do exactly that. Thank you for your, the, your graciousness <laughs> that uh, whether we sin once, twice, 70 times seven, a million, whatever it may be, your offer still stands. And there's nothing that can keep your offer from standing, not even death. Would you make that real for us as we leave from this place and go about all that you've called us to? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.